your message notes out and let's talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, let's pray. Father, would you be with us today as we delve into this subject? Would you speak to us? Would you illuminate our hearts and minds? Would you open up the scriptures to us? Would you help us to think differently? Would you change us and transform us? We receive from you now. We look to you for all that you have. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the message of our faith. I want to talk to you about uh, how it translates to our culture. You know, I've been on vacation this summer. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but summer is starting to dwindle away. Here we are. It's coming. We're about a month from school starting. And all the moms are like, yes. Some of the dads too, yes. But as I've been, as I've been just kind of taking a little space this summer, I, I've I want to tell you what I've been thinking about. And uh, this summer we've been doing messages one at a time, and not a series, but just ideas that are helpful and healthy for our community. And so uh, while I was out on the beach a few weeks ago, and just sitting out there and and reading a, a big, thick book, which I like to do every vacation. This, this year I read Unbroken, which is a fantastic story about Louis Zamperini. You need to get that and pick it up. It's a fantastic book. But as I was sitting out there and I was just, just resting, just clearing my soul of all the busyness, by the way, which is very important, every one of you need vacations. Every one of us need Sabbaths. And the more you do it on a weekly basis, the more space gets created in your heart and soul for what God is trying to do. Because when you take time off, when you kind of take a step back, you get perspective, right? So as I've gained some perspective just in my own heart, my own life, what we're doing here at One Chapel, who we are as a community, what we're doing in the city of Austin, I, I want to I talk to you about the subject of the gospel, and I want to talk to you about it because I think it's so important about how we live it out in our society, in our culture, how we understand it, how we practice it, how we share it with others. It's profoundly important and essential to our mission that we need to understand what we're talking about when we share this word, gospel. What does it look like? It has to be more than, a, than a, something that we sort of tacitly talk about as we're on our way to talking about how God meets our needs. There's something so transformational and foundational about the idea of the gospel message that we need to make sure that we're all living it and talking about it. And so bef but before we do that, I want to start today, today with a, uh, a little cultural analogy. We're going to look at a video here. It's a little car commercial. It was directed by a guy named Jason Headley. And Jason Headley, you, you might know him as the guy who directed the relationship short story called It's Not About the Nail. All right? This same guy directed this. So uh, I want you to watch the story, and it'll kind of start us off talking about our culture and the gospel. Where's Amy? She went to get a snack. A snack? You guys have been snacking the whole ride. You gotta be like 40% beef jerky by now. It's still fruit. Fruit's not a snack. What is it? It's fruit. You can eat it. Sure, but 
mean, you have to think to eat it. You have to think? It's not a riddle, it's a banana. I mean, you have to see it, then recognize that it's food, then think, oh yeah, I could eat that, and then start eating it. Don't you have to do that with other food? No. Some food you have to think to stop eating it. Well, now you've been through the many phases of deep consideration. Would you like some fruit? No. What's Amy bringing you? Pork rinds and root beer. That's not even food. I know. It's a snack. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my kids don't like fruit for snacks either. They, they like other things. But here's, here's the thing. Just like convincing your kids um, that fruit is a great snack, translating the message of the gospel uh, to our culture as good news can be incredibly difficult. It's imperative that we, um, that we live out the gospel message in our lives so that it can be accurately translated. But here's the problem. We live increasingly in a postmodern world, post-Christian era. It used to be that our culture was, was based on the, this foundational, um, these moorings, these underpinnings that we would call a Judeo-Christian ethic or values. And, and, and so we could, we could have church on top of that foundation. We could talk about Jesus and talk about the scriptures and talk about the gospel and, and talk about the good news on top of that foundation. The problem with our culture and our society and what's happened is we're kind of past all the values. We, uh, the, the, the values and the, and the foundational ideas of integrity and hard work and how to show up on time and how to, how to serve others instead of just serving yourself. and how, Some of these very basic ideas that come from our Judeo-Christian backgrounds are disintegrating before our very eyes. Young men don't know how to be on time and do a good job and work hard. Young ladies don't know how to hold themselves and save themselves for marriage. So we have a, a, a and men don't either. But but the, this anyway, let's not go there. The point is. All these things that were sort of part of the landscape of our culture as a foundation are now gone. So for us to then put something on top of that and say, oh no, you need a relationship with Jesus and everything. We gotta, we gotta start with the transformational message of what's happening in our culture and how the gospel relates to it. That's a lot harder. We, we, have, to, we have to understand how God sets up societies and how he works with people and, and what he wants to build in their lives. We have to start much lower in the found, on the foundation laying level than we used to. But here's the good news. I think the message of Jesus does all that. Right? If, we'll, if we'll understand it, if we'll embrace it, and if we will be able to articulate it. And so the, the word gospel is mentioned in the, in the New Testament over 90 times. All right? 
if you take one of the one of the times Jesus was articulating this idea about the gospel in Matthew 24, he said, "And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come." Evidently, the gospel is strategic in how the end unfolds. Paul said in Romans 1:16, he said, "I am not ashamed of the gospel." Because it is the power of God, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He, he said in Philippians 1.27, he said, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Evidently, the gospel is important enough that we have to live lives worthy of it. I fear that we're not living lives worthy of it because we don't even know what we're talking about. We're an inch deep and a mile wide. So, Paul said to his young son in the faith, Timothy, he said, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering in the gospel, for the gospel. Join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Evidently, the gospel is worth suffering for. But one of the most famous verses about the gospel, the, the verse that sort of ties it all together, that, that, that we've, we've learned, kind of articulates it all in one package, doesn't even mention the word gospel. It's John 3.16. John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal, everlasting life. It's a powerful concept. But we have to unpack it a little bit. So what does the gospel mean? What does the word mean? The word means good news. Most of you have learned that in church before. It means good news. But if it's such good news, why, are we, why aren't we more happy? Why are we so upset? Why are we so cynical? Why are we so frustrated? Have you noticed our culture has a little air of frustration and cynicism? And even church life, way too serious most of the time. Way too sad. It's good news, people. It's actually great news. I'm not sure we value it correctly. No, there's, there's a problem. So many people don't think it's good news, right? Who are the people who don't think it's good news? There's a bunch of people that think that religion creates all wars. <laughs> they don't think it's good news. They don't get it. Uh, they think, people think that Christianity is a wing of a political party. That's unfortunate. They think Jesus is for weak-minded people or people who just have a hard time with life and they need something else. People think that Christians are not intellectual, uh, which is a problem, by the way, because many times it's true. We do, need to be, we do need to be smarter. We need to learn. We need to grow. We need to be able to articulate the ideas in a culture where intellectualism is the dominant reality. They think, some people think that God is a megalomaniac who's just mean to people all the time. They think, uh, some people just think he doesn't exist at all, and so it doesn't matter. They don't care. But good news, here's how I want to define it. Ready? I want to define it this way. Good news is defined as we no longer have to be separated 
from God by sin. By sin. Now what's sin? Let's talk about sin for a second. Sin, the, his, the traditional um, classical definition, uh, which the word means this, it actually is translated to miss the mark. To miss the mark. All right. So we've all missed the mark. The Bible says if you violate one part of the law, you've violated the whole thing. You can't, you can't just be a little bit of a sinner. <laughs> you either hit it or it's... Or, or, or you don't hit it. That's, there's, there's, there's no margin. I know people say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I only have a few little sins. It doesn't work that way. Sin is the thing that separates us from God. It's not because, it's not because that God is so disappointed in you. It's not because he He's afraid of sin or he has to resist it or reject it. Look, God is not afraid of your your sin or my sin. In fact, Jesus coming into the world, he came into the mess of sin, the mess of our world, and he demonstrated it by coming as a baby in a manger in a stable, one of the messiest places that he could find. He's He's not intimidated by sin. He sent Jesus to deal with it. So, but the problem is, when we think of the gospel and how this works, we, I'm not sure we understand what it means. It means we are embraced in a loving relationship with God. It means we've been reattached. It means our relationship has been restored. It means we're free from the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? It's death. You've heard it. The penalty of sin is death. But it also means we're empowered with authority and with grace, and with truth, to live the resurrection life that Christ lived. And here's the thing, we, we got to think correctly about the gospel, because so much is at stake. Some people think the gospel means um, prosperity. If I, if, I, if, I, if I accept the good news of God, it means I'll just be prosperous all my life. It does mean that God will bless you, but it doesn't mean you'll have all the material possessions that you want. That's a, that's a misunderstanding of what God really wants for you. What he's, interested, what he's interested in is you being incredibly blessed and successful in living a life that is connected to him. And in fact, the only way to really live a life that in the, in the big picture, in the eternal scope, is successful, is to be attached to God and what his story is in the world. And so we're, what we're doing is we're reattaching to that. That's what the good news is. We're reattaching to the source of life. Everybody say source of life. We're not living in death or sinfulness or the pain or the suffering that sin causes and creates in our lives. We're not, we're not in bondage to our own habits or addictions. We are freed from those things. And as we are, we, re, we reattach to the source of life and we respond to God's love. So we reconnect to the source of life by responding to God's love with three things. All right, I'm going to write it down in your little message. Here's how the gospel works. Here's how the good news comes alive to you. The good news comes alive to you because... We're responding to God with repentance. Repentance. What? Everybody say repentance. Repentance. 
That doesn't sound very happy, does it? That sounds really depressing. Repentance? Wow, I thought you said this was good news. Look, repentance is the most positive word in the Bible. What, you don't believe me? Okay, go with me for a second. What happens when you repent? Okay. Repenting, right, is the word, it means to turn around and go the other direction, to turn away. That's what repentance means. So when you're going one direction and, you, and, and you're going your own direction and you, and you turn and go towards God, what happens? Is it good? Then why don't we repent more? Well, repentance means I'm bad. Repentance means I've done something wrong. Actually, no. Repentance means that you've received the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your soul and realized how this is a dead end and where you're going is going nowhere good. And suddenly it dawns on you, hello, McFly, this isn't good. You're destroying yourself. You're in trouble. You're wasting your life. I'm not going to waste my life anymore. I'm going to go this way. That's the most positive thing you can do. And I will tell you, there is not one example in the scripture that you will find where God doesn't respond to genuine repentance. Every time. It's immediate. It's like, bam. Oh. He, he sees it. She, she, she realizes what's going on. And as you do, something happens. A transformation begins to happen inside of your soul. Now let's define, let's define the terms. Because I think that sin is living independently from God. It's choosing to do your own thing instead of being dependent on Him. And so repentance is the most positive word in the Bible. And the Bible says in Romans 2.4 2, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so think about this for a second. If sin means, I just, want, I just want you to see this. If sin means to miss the mark, right? You know, a, a bow and arrow hitting a target. So sin is missing the mark. And repentance means to turn around and go the other direction. I don't have a Bible verse for this. <laughs> just, this is just me. Just being honest. But could it be that the gospel message is not about doing a better job at hitting the mark, but about something so completely other that it's not about hitting the mark, it's about turning around and going and following God. It's about something so completely different, so completely other than, oh, I just need to do a little bit better. Oh, I just need to hit that. No, I can do better. No, Jesus, it's okay, it's all right. I can do this, I can hit this. So many Christians live like they're just trying to get better at hitting the mark. That's not the gospel. The ideas of rules and religion have destroyed countless lives. What Jesus wants for us is relationship with him and freedom to love. Freedom to love well. Freedom to love him and freedom to love others. We got to get this. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that, that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. 
But worldly sorrow brings death. We're not talking about guilt. We're not talking about just being, being sorry you got caught. We're talking about realizing that you're separated from God and repenting and going the other direction. Now, let me tell you this. One of the hardest things that we do as a church, one of the hardest things that the community of Christ does is evaluate repentance. It's very difficult because, like, so how many times should we let them fail? Right? Three. Peter said, how many times should we forgive? Like seven? Like, that's really magnanimous. And Jesus said, Jesus said, 490. That's the number. 491, it's over. No, the, here's, here's, here's the point. Here's the point. Evaluating, evaluating repentance is really tricky. Because, you, because we, as, 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 as a community of believers, we don't know what's going on in the heart and soul of that person exactly. But God does. And so what we have to do is we have to become fruit inspectors. Not judges. Fruit inspectors. Because the Bible tells us that we need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So the only way I think that you can really live a a life of repentance that's good is if you live honestly in a community where people are with you and for you and helping you walk through it. Otherwise, you become isolated. You become individualized. You're just wrestling with it yourself. You can't even evaluate your own repentance sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that sometimes if you do something foolish or sinful... You don't really know why you did it. You don't know where it came from. You don't know what's going on. You're, you're, you're trying to figure it out. Why, why am I reacting this way? Why am I medicating my heart and soul this way? You can't necessarily evaluate your repentance on your own. You need a group of people who love you and are for you to be a demonstration of how much God is for you and with you. It's called accountability. But it doesn't start with accountability. It starts with real relationships. Real relationships. Are you guys with me? Okay, the power of the gospel is demonstrated in a community where repentance is the norm. I think we're supposed to be, I'm spending a long time on repentance in this service. I don't know why, but maybe some of you need it. All right, so that was a joke. Easy. I think we have to repent for sin over and over again. Do you think God's worried about your sin? He can handle it. Jesus paid for it. It's okay. But as you repent, what happens is you get more and more sensitive to it. And before you know it, you're repenting so well that you begin to repent before you even sin. So if you repent... You're like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry I even thought about doing that. That's horrible. And then you find that you are actually living out the gospel as Jesus described it in Matthew 5. Because in Matthew 5, what did he say? He said, you've heard it was said, uh, don't commit murder. But I tell you, don't get angry. Uh, You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, don't lust. 
See, when you repent, before you even get to the actual act, is you're dealing with the, the, the origin of what's going on in your own heart. And you begin to repent of your sin. And you, you be, it becomes so quick. It becomes so easy. It becomes an automatic response because you're just turning back to him. That's the power of the gospel beginning to play itself out inside of you. And make no mistake, it is not an outside-in job. It's an inside-out It happens with the gospel message being deposited in you. Hey, you don't have to live like this anymore. You don't have to suffer anymore. You don't have to to experience this anymore. You can live free. And and it gets deposited inside of you. And then faith begins to rise up. And then suddenly something happens. You begin to change. But not because... Not because it was your willpower or or something that you tried to fix in your life or you saw enough counselors. By the way, I believe in counseling. I believe, but it doesn't fix the sin problem. Only Jesus can fix the sin problem. Only Jesus can fix the separation problem. Only Jesus can fix the death that's going on inside of you and life being replaced by it. And the gospel is about that idea. And so repentance is the most positive thing that can go on in you over and over and over and over and over again until suddenly, man, I don't need to repent that much anymore. What does that mean? That means my relationship with God is really progressing and he is something's, he's partnering with me and, he, and I'm, I'm partnering with him and now I'm sharing it, hello, sharing the message with somebody else. It's really hard to share the message if you don't have it going on inside of you. You're afraid to share it. You're fearful to share it. You're not sure if it actually works. And that's all the time I have today. I got the one point. Awesome. It was a pretty good point. But next week, we'll try to get through the second point. And in, I just started a six-week series, evidently. So I'm going to stop, but I want you to, I want you to think that, and, and next week we may recover a little bit of this ground, but, you know, you know the, the commercial we watched, right? Do you know what the car was that they were promoting? Yeah. How did you know that? Because they didn't say it one time. The story wasn't about a Jeep. It was on the car. Every scene, there was, every scene, the little logo was in it. Everything. What I want to, what I want to say to you is every area of your life, the gospel needs to be seen. It needs to be like, oh, yeah, oh, there's some, oh. And people begin to see it bleeding through, even though you didn't tell them that overtly. We'll talk about that next week. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, help us believe. I mean, the gospel, the message, the good news is so big, it's so vast, it's so transformational. We, I mean, it shouldn't surprise us. We can't get through the whole thing and a 20-minute talk. But Lord, it's, it's so deep that we need your help. Unmask our way of thinking. Open our blind eyes. Open our deaf ears. Help our 
hardened hearts. Break through today. Break through with repentance. Father, we know that repentance is a gift. So we ask you for the gift. The gift of repenting quickly. The gift of, of letting you do your work inside of our hearts. Let, it, let that transformation happen over and over again. All across the auditorium, do something so powerful in us that we cannot deny that it's good. Make it good. Good news in our hearts, our souls. Regenerate us today. Renew us. Rescue us, we pray, from ourselves, from our failures, from our foolishness, from all of our faults. Lord, we trust you. We ask you to do this. Now, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call you forward or, or, or do anything like that. I, but I do want to give you a chance to respond, and I want to pray for you. And so if you, you're, you're, you're realizing this, I've been living a life that has not had the gospel working. I'm not, I am not being transformed. I, I'm barely, I barely have a relationship with God. It, I, I don't even, I don't even know what that would look like as you describe it. You might say to yourself, but I'm here to invite you to a relationship. And if you, if you feel like there's something that you need to, to say, you need to say, I, I haven't been living in the way that I should. I, I haven't been responding to God with repentance. I've been hiding from him or I've been doing my own thing in my own way and living independent from him. And I want to come back and be dependent on him. Whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, if that's you, shoot your hand up in the air right now. Say, Pastor, pray for me. That's me. That's me. I'm committing my life today to this kind of relationship. Yep, right here in front, in the back. Although, awesome, great decisions. Who else? Who else? Good decision. Way back in the back. Over here on the side. I, I see you and God sees you. Anybody else to say, Pastor, come on, pray for me. This is me. I'm ready to do this. Yep, I see you right back here. Listen, that, the lifting of that hand is an act of faith. And God sees that. And I want us all to pray this prayer. Come on. Everybody repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who paid the price for me. I deserve death. I'm disconnected. I'm full of myself. But I need to be full of you. Forgive me for being independent, for doing my own thing. I want to depend on you. I surrender. I yield. I invite you. I repent. I turn around and walk the other direction. Towards you towards your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I receive it from you. Lord, every person that prayed that prayer, seal it by the work of your Holy Spirit and let it begin to work its way out from inside all the way out. Father, I pray that you'd take us, each one of us, help us to explore the, the depths, the furthest reaches of the gospel message, the good news that is so important, so essential for us to live in our culture. We love you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.